I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. It's the KSL Greenhouse. Expert tips for flowers, trees, gardens, and soil. Our hosts are Maria Chaleos and Ton Bettis on KSL News Radio. Good morning. Thank you for joining us for the KSL Greenhouse Show. You can barely see the sunshine. It's up today, but with all that haze, Ton, it's made it pretty difficult to see the sun. Yeah, as soon as I got into the point of the mountain area, the moon turned kind of an orangey white color and then just got progressively, I'm assuming this is smog, Mm -hmm. uh, progressively smoggier as I got toward. Uh, the Triad Center. Yeah, you have some mist in this, but uh, at this point where we're stuck in it, uh, good news is, though, that tomorrow we're going to see a snowstorm, and that should uh, help us out for a few days. Yeah. I, yesterday, after that cold, you know, the smog hadn't hit Orem and Santa Quin area yet, and we got up into the 40s. I was able to wear just a hoodie instead of a thick coat, and it was really nice, but we, I mean... I hope we don't have problems with so much moisture, but we can sure use it. We certainly can. And actually, the moisture is not the problem. It's the lack of moisture which causes that pollution and causes things the air to become stagnant in the valley. And it's interesting. It's pretty late in the year for us to actually start seeing this kind of pollution in the air. Uh, typical years, we've seen it much earlier and it lasts much longer. So we're going to get sort of a break from it. Yeah, I'm glad we are. This, the air is unhealthy and... I know already since I've been up in Salt Lake with the smog, I'm a little bit more congested and just feels like allergy season, even though it's February. So Absolutely. It's really annoying. This morning we wanted to start out. The plant of the week is rosemary. I love rosemary. It's, you know, a lot of people plant this just as like down in the St. George area. It's just a bush. It's just for decorative yeah. purposes. And there's all sorts of weeping forms and creeping forms and upright forms. And in warmer areas like St. George, Las Vegas, California, the rosemaries, there's many types that will grow in many shapes and sizes. And so here we either have to grow it as a houseplant or as something that there's just one or two varieties that will do well outside mm-hmm. that you can actually grow. So what are those one or two varieties? Well, I yesterday I was looking for fact sheets 
that would mention both of them, and none of them would. It was either ARP. <laughs> One or a, the other. <laughs> yeah, ARP, ARP, or Madeline Hill mm-hmm. are the two that are hardy, and they're fairly upright. They'll get two and a half to three feet high and wide, and they'll tolerate some pruning, but they the ratings say zone six, and I think that's pretty true. My neighbors across the street have one of the two, and so far it's made it. We got down to zero, and so I know there were areas that got colder, but at zero it still looks okay. Yeah, I have. I planted a brand new one in my courtyard, but it's kind of a microclimate. It's much more protected than other areas of my yard, so I'm I'm excited to see. Well, I'm looking forward to see whether it's actually surviving the winter. Yeah, and so rosemaries are a good plant for dry areas. They're native to the Mediterranean, Italy. Um, they're grown in Greece and Turkey. That whole area is where rosemary is native. Mm-hmm. And so they thrive in the desert southwest in the California Mediterranean climate. But we have that climate kind of for about nine months out of the year. And fortunately, there's the, there's the couple of cold hardy types. Right. Every year at Christmas time, you see um, a lot of like Whole Foods put out these rosemary trees. And I've bought them a number of times because I just love the rosemary. But I've had a really hard time getting them to live for very long. They are extremely difficult to get to live indoors. They pretty much need a greenhouse environment. The other challenge with them is that they will get a lot of insect pests. If they're infested with those, then it's really hard to get rid of them. And so thrips and spider mites and scale, even aphids will get into them. But if you can keep them free and you do have a greenhouse area and you can keep that on the drier side, they actually will grow in that sort of environment, or even maybe if you have a south window with the, what do you call it, when you're growing your plants in your window, it has the... Oh, I, they have those extended, extended out windows. Yes. Yeah. You know, in those sorts of areas, they will. But even then, you may only get a couple of years out of them before they decline indoors. And so if people buy those ornamentals, you need to be a little careful if it's an indoor rosemary because you don't know if they've been treated with, say, a neonicotinoid or something. And so oftentimes they'll have a warning saying, you know, this plant is not intended for human consumption. Mm -hmm. But I'm always a little cautious about those. And you could talk to the garden center where you purchase it, and they may have a better idea of how it has been treated. But um, you can use them, obviously, for the herb rosemary for, you know, all the different cooking and things that you do with them. Right. They've lasted a couple of months, and so I've been able to enjoy them with my roasts for a couple of months. But, yeah, getting them to live for an extended period of time has just been very challenging. Yeah, no, outdoors is much different. And I know of one in Orem that's, like you say, in a fairly protected area that's going on 20 years old, and it's still perfectly happy. Um, Rosemaries are actually fairly easy to do cuttings on. And so in late winter, sometime in mid to late February, early March, as our day lengths are increasing, if you were to take those and then do some uh, cuttings into vermiculite or perlite, uh, they will readily root, especially with rootone, and you can get new plants that way. So for those two varieties that we can actually plant here outside that may do well, um, best conditions for them? 
somewhere preferably near a building on the south or west side because they will tolerate quite a bit of heat that keeps the ground from freezing and keeps them a bit warmer. If you are on the Bountiful Bench or Orem Bench or similar areas, they should be able to go anywhere in your yard where you have full sun as long as you're not at the bottom of a slope, say with a fence there where mm-hmm. cold air would accumulate. And so they need that drainage. But as long as you have them in a fairly warm area of the yard, they seem to be happy. And those those varieties, again, are called ARP, ARP, and Madeline Hill. I found out in my reading that ARP is named after ARP, Texas. Oh, I don't know how they found out that what whatever variety of rosemary was growing there was more cold hardy. And I think Madeline Hill is a sport of that one. And so it's kind of a convoluted story, but this ARP variety made it back to the National Arboretum mm-hmm. and they tested it and it was eventually released by the National Arboretum for public use. Okay. How about soil? Soil, just uh, gravelly soil, well-drained. My soil is kind of a loam or clay loam, and even if you have them at the top of a slope where there's some water drainage, they're even happy there. They're going to struggle if they are in situations where the soil is continuously wet. Are they considered drought-hardy? Yes, quite drought-hardy. So once they're established, they will survive on being watered every couple of weeks and be perfectly happy. Okay, and you can find out much more on Rosemary on the KSL Greenhouse Facebook page. There's an article up for you right now. And again, those that do well here in northern Utah outside are the ARP and the Madeline Hill. Yes. All right, we're going to be back. Oh, oh I should say really okay. quick, mm-hmm. Madeline Hill is sometimes called Hills Hardy. Oh, okay. So we'll watch out for that. We're going to come back with your calls and questions. Drew is already on the line. Number to call with your questions, 801-575-8255. You can text us at 57500. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Good morning. Thank you for joining us for the KSL Greenhouse. Maria and Ton with you. We are taking your calls, 801-575-8255. Great time to text us a question as well at 57500. Drew is in Bountiful, and good morning, Drew. What is your question this morning? Good morning. Um, I have a, a, a large chokecherry tree and a honey locust that I would like to shape, and I want to know how aggressive I can be and uh, what time of year to do it? So, what shaping do you need to do? What are you trying? What your What are your goals? It's It's just taking over the area and kind of doing its own thing. And I just like to make it more look like a a, a loved tree instead of a, a a bad haircut day. Okay, I mean you can cut twenty percent of the branching out in a given year and not cause a lot of harm. But you're going to be fighting against its genetic tendency to want to be 40 feet high and wide. Okay. So, I mean, yes, you can do some shaping. But if you're wanting to turn this thing into a lollipop, 
you know, where you're rounding it <laughs> off, it's not going to be very easy to do. No, I, I just need to take out some limbs that are uh, aggressively going towards the house. And, okay. Yeah, and, watch some videos kind of on thing. pruning. I mean, it's going if they're major limbs, what you're going to do is uh, your first cut is going to go near the underside of where the trunk meets or the branch meets the trunk or another major limb, and you're going to undercut that a little bit. And if it does fall out, it's not going to rip the bark all the way down right. the tree, and then you're going to go out three or four feet and cut there to relieve the pressure of that branch, you know, being hanging out there, and then you can remove it. But there's some pretty good YouTube videos on pruning and things, but now's the time of year that you would do that. Okay. Great. How about the choke cherry? Same thing? Yeah, same thing. The choke cherries... We used to, when I worked at a garden center, we used to tip prune them when they were younger, and that would force them to leaf out a lot more and be more dense because they can get a little bit spindly. But if you need to take a few branches off that choke cherry, I would give it another two or three weeks, but you can do that too. All righty. Thanks, Drew. Thank you very much. What's wrong with making it look like a lollipop, Tom? Well, I mean. <laughs> We like we to, do have a tendency to, to Dr. To. Seuss a lot of those kinds of plants. <laughs> and honey locusts just get 40 to 45 feet high and wide. Mm-hmm. And if you go in and start just rounding it off like a lollipop, yes, it's possible. But you would make the tree very angry and it would try to grow all over the place and it would just make a lot bigger mess. And so if you were attempting to do something like that, there are other trees that if you wanted to do that sort of pruning would be more friendly towards it. It's not a bonsai. Is that what you're saying? It is not a bonsai. (laughs) You cannot make it the shape that you would like it. No, (laughs) but taking a few limbs here and there just to keep them from growing over your house or a fence or over a driveway, that's fine. Right. Oh, my goodness. Later on this morning, we're going to talk about a couple of different things. In the 9 o'clock hour, we're going to talk about uh, we've had all of these elk that have decided to uh, join us here in the Salt Lake Valley. Uh, They seem to really like the Walmart parking lot up on the East Bench, up by Foothill Drive. So we're going to talk about uh, deer-resistant things in the 9 o'clock hour at the top of the hour. Top of the 10 o'clock hour, we're going to talk about, oh, is all of this cold damaging plants and what plants are susceptible so some good features this yeah. morning at our top of the hour. Yeah, some interesting topics. I Yesterday when I was searching through a lot of the potential fact sheets and things you know, on those deer, and I guess we could bring this up later, it's amazing the differences from state to state on what they consider deer resistant. That is interesting. It is. And one other thing I sh- we should bring up later is that down in Spanish Fork, I think there were 19 elk killed by consuming poisonous plants. And then J.D. told me yesterday that there were a number of them up his way that have been killed because they're coming down and they're so hungry. Um, They're going after a bush called U-Y-E-W. And uh, that's one that we need to, if you live in wildlands, where wildlands meet urban areas, so in the foothills and, you know, if you're moving out into homestead and things that use where deers or deer and other wildlife are not going to eat it are fine, but you need to be extremely careful 
with them when you get into those areas that they are frequenting. It would seem like the deer would know better. Well, and they get so hungry that... Whatever they can find. Yeah, whatever they can find. Because I think that the ewes have a pretty bad taste, but they're so hungry. And now we've got homes all along the benches. We've got I-15 and other things blocking that it's really difficult for them to forage where they normally would 150 years ago mm-hmm. when the population centers weren't here. And what happens with ewes is they contain prussic acid in the needles. And as you digest prussic acid, it chemically changes to cyanide, hydrogen cyanide, and then it disrupts some systems in the body. We don't need to get in too much, but the deer die of cyanide poisoning after they ingest it. So many of us don't want the deer eating our trees and bushes, but we also don't want to hurt them. No. And I mean, a lot of people that own horses know not to plant these ewes. It could be that the taste isn't that bad, but every once in a while, horses and cattle are poisoned. But when you get really bad winters, the wildlife that eat the ewes goes quite, you know, skyrockets. And you hear more and more about them you know, dying because they ate ewes. Okay. Was there any other plant that we should avoid if we didn't want to hurt the animals? That's the main one. That's the big one right now. Yeah, that's the big one. Okay. We're going to take a break for the bottom of the hour news. When we come back, we do have a text question about overseeding lawns uh, and any tips. Uh, We're going to give some tips when we come back. So stay with us for more on the KSL Greenhouse Show. The number for you to call with your questions, and the phone lines are open right now, 801-575-8255. You can also text us at 57500. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.